Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the FinTV podcast. I'm joined by two guests today. Uh, one who you'll know because he's been on our show a couple times, Stefan DeBars, who's Executive Vice President of 09 Solutions, and Dave Koss, who is retired U.S. Navy captain, Top Gun strike pilot, strike fighter pilot, and Blue Angels pilot. So welcome, both of you. Well, why don't we start with you, Dave? Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and what we're going to be talking about today? Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a 30-year uh, Navy veteran, spent most of my career flying F-18s off the aircraft carriers. I've got 740 carrier arrested landings. And the good news is my takeoffs and my landings uh, added up. That's always a good thing as an aviator to have those two numbers be equal. But was fortunate enough to spend some time uh, deployed, made six international deployments to basically anywhere you can imagine around the globe. Was again fortunate to have trained at Top Gun. was a was a member of the Blue Angel team. So I've just I've just been really fortunate to have had some great experiences in my 30 year career. And what it's really taught me though is the flying airplanes is amazing and phenomenal. And the technology that that's out there these days is is mind blowing. But it's really about the people, and that's what I've enjoyed the most. I've gotten to work with some just true quality people who really have a work ethic that's unmatched and will do anything to see you succeed. And that's really one of my main takeaways is that just there are people out there who are willing to do anything to make the organization successful. And as a person who is blessed to be a, a leader of them, you, you need to, to pay attention and really respect what they do and have an understanding of what they bring to the table. And I, and I think that's one of my major takeaways as I, as I walked away from the Navy is uh, the, the leadership aspect and how it's, a, it's more of an art and a science than anything else, but it's it's just critically important to the organization's success. Well, you know, to give everybody a bit of context here, I watched a webinar that Dave and Stefan did together. Maybe Stefan, if you tell me a little bit about what prompted you to try to do this webinar with Dave, what you were trying to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think what's uh, very interesting, I mean, uh, Dave uh, lives in Austin, Texas in, in the US, and so does uh, 09 CEO, uh, Chakri. And uh, they met and actually we had a uh, leadership session uh, earlier this year where Dave uh, was a guest and wanted to sort of educate us on leadership principles uh, from the military as well as some of the fundamental uh, planning uh, processes in the military uh, when they go um, out and uh, when they prepare for missions and do the debriefs and so forth. And what was extremely interesting during that session was there were a lot of similarities actually between the military as well as uh, with business. And what we wanted to do with that podcast is sort of bring those two worlds together and say, hey, Dave, you know, tell us a little bit more about those concepts. What can we as business practitioners and especially people in supply chain learn from that? Because if you think about a military operation, uh, there is planning involved, there is execution involved, 
there is a debriefing or post-gaming involved. And ultimately, the military has to work on their high level of uncertainty and a lot of stress. And I believe that many of us in supply chain felt the same, especially when COVID hit and there was so much uncertainty and so much stress involved. And uh, honestly, I think uh, the military has some great principles that we as business practitioners can learn from. And I think uh, David's an awesome guy as well. And I think listening to him um, and about the stories and how we can actually learn from that uh, is super interesting. So that outside in perspective, um, I think it's extremely relevant. And that's why we decided to do a series of podcasts with, uh, with David. You know, you know, Dave, I mean, we exist because a lot of the leaders that we talk to say that they've either they're implementing digital transformation in their businesses, um, have failed to do so. There's a lot of failure rates there. It's because it's a big change for a lot of organizations, right, to, to completely change their business from analog to digital. Um, and one of the things that keeps coming up over and over again as to why digital transformation is failing is a leadership issue, a people issue, a cultural issue. Now, then comes COVID, right? And it's thrown a load of complications and crisis into the equation. In your line of work or your previous line of work, crisis, uncertainty, complexity is uh, day in and day out. Maybe talk us through how you um, handled things, how you got uh, mission critical elements accomplished over your time and uh, in your career? Well, one thing that the military is known for is there's a fair amount of formality and there's a fair amount of structure. And the reason why I'm very supportive of that is because it teaches you skill sets that you can use in high pressure situations, right? The, the thing about pressure, uh, as, I, as I even train some, some young midshipmen as they're coming into the Navy, uh, you apply pressure to them, right? There's really no way to simulate the pressure of combat or anything else of that, um, that serious nature. But, but applying pressure is a big deal. And how we do that is um, usually via time constraints, right? Put a time constraint on somebody, have this done by this time. And sometimes to be honest, uh, you know, yell a little bit because when someone is being louder than normal, it catches your attention and it gets you a little off your game. So there's, there's many ways that the military uses to essentially train a person when they come into the military. You know, one of the reasons why we do drill and marching is because it gets you in a mindset that you're able to listen and follow directions because sometimes it may come down to that, right? You may be so off the reservation in your mental thinking that it takes a leader to step in and say, hey, do this, and it gets you focused on what you're doing. So the, the question you asked, I think what's interesting is you say one word that's, that's, that's really, it's kind of a very popular buzzword right now, and that's transformational, right? And really another word for change. And we also say the word change management a little bit. So you asked me my personal opinion. I try as rarely as possible to use the word management because I think you manage resources and I think you lead people. So to, to answer your question, I think having some, some fundamental sense of uh, a purpose and a goal and being able to help people achieve that as a leader I think is what's most critical, right? And, and as you're talking about digital transformation, one of the things 09 Solution does exceptionally well is they, they have the data, right? The data is there and they can show you anything you need on how to make an educated decision. And I think that's where the leadership part comes in. Having people there who are able to digest that information and make actionable decisions based on that 
And then ultimately the big L word lead through that change, right? So when, when you're looking to do something, you have to have leaders that are, that have a process in place are educated on where the team needs to go, communicate, communicate, communicate that direction, and then ultimately see it through. But you bring up a really interesting point there about data and having uh, all the information at your fingertips. I mean, one of the things you guys do quite well, Stefan, is the whole work with AI and machine learning so that you can crunch all that data. Um, there seems to be such a, a mountain of data that leaders can't really digest at this point. Do, do you think that that's something that helps with uh, creating the kind of teams that would help uh, drive transformation? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to data, there's a, a lot about data. Um, I think still uh, there is also this um, uh, article, I think that was in The Economist, still a lot of people referring to that, that data is the new oil. Uh, but I would actually sort of disagree with that because um, actually every global organization is data rich, right? But then the question is, how do I turn data into knowledge and knowledge that I can turn into insights. And I think that is um, something uh, extremely interesting uh, as well as, you know, how do you then sort of guide the people through that transformation or sort of digesting and crunching data and Excel spreadsheets to elevating that up and getting, you know, enterprise knowledge and then using that knowledge to sort of make better decisions. And we all, always sort of uh, compare that with, um, you know, the, the human brain and how we mature as people is that obviously, uh, you know, we, we, we mature and our perspective of the world becomes bigger and bigger. Uh, and we use that perspective and we use that knowledge and we use the experience that we gain uh, in the decisions that we are trying to make, right, good and bad. Uh, hopefully uh, more good ones than bad ones. But our point of view is we should actually see an enterprise more as a uh, sort of function uh, like ourselves that is trying to, you know, turn data and turn experience into knowledge and knowledge into insights uh, that enables us to, to uh, make better decisions. And I think that is where, you know, really technology is now uh, playing such a key role that we can actually create a digital brain uh, of an organization uh, and then uh, enable prescriptive decision making, right? And I think Maria, we, we talked about, you know, examples in our daily lives uh, so many times. I mean, still when I talk to my parents, they, I ask them, so how did you actually go on vacation 25 years ago? And they say, look, we had this, you know, map and we had to go from A to B and we were figuring out, you know, how to get to, you know, to be. Now, obviously, you know, the big highways and stuff, you can figure that out. But then, you know, uh, if you need to go into the, the small roads and aisles and so forth, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But they managed, right? But now how we do that, we do that much smarter, right? There is Google that, you know, has, first of all, a picture of all the roads. Then they know where there is traffic. They know the speed limits. Uh, and they know, uh, you know, traffic lights and so forth. So they can sort of prescribe to me not only how to drive, but when I would need to leave my house to get on time to wherever I would be going. And I think that sort of prescriptive decision making is something that in our daily lives, we take that for granted. 
right? I, I open, you know, Netflix, it tells me, hey, why don't you watch this uh, documentary? I go to Amazon, it says, hey, you should buy this. And I think it's pretty cool, right? How that is sort of uh, changing the way we make decisions. But now when I walk to in an enterprise, right, and I see dozens of people working on Excel spreadsheets, you know, bringing together data in a way that it doesn't even get to knowledge or, you know, prescriptive decision making. And I think we are now at the moment that tech is so far in the enterprise that we can leapfrog. But to Dave's point and to your point, it requires leadership to make the step and to ultimately, you know, drive adoption because that is extremely important to make that happen. And I know Dave has a fantastic uh, definition of formula for leadership. So uh, you should- I mean, I'm, I'm all ears. That. Yeah, uh, I'm all well, ears, Dave. Well, yeah, Dave, go ahead. But, but that's how I think about it, Maria. So I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about leadership. And, and first off, I, I want to be, be uh, open and honest. I've made leadership mistakes, right? So it's funny when I hear myself talk about leadership, I sound like, man, I'm the best leader ever. I've made some mistakes and I've really learned from them. I was asked to, to talk to a group a few years ago about what I thought leadership was. And as I was sitting going through it, you know, quite simply, leadership is getting somebody to do something. And then, you know, really good leadership is getting somebody to do something well that they particularly don't want to do. But as I thought more through it, and I mentioned the words art and theory, because I think, I think leadership falls more on that side than it does science or math. Interestingly enough, I put it in a math equation because as I was working through in my head what I think the critical elements of leadership are, I, I put it into a math equation. Again, acknowledging that leadership is not math, but it helped me uh, frame in my mind what I think is critical to leadership. And that equation is integrity times accountability times credibility times courage times commitment plus compassion equals leadership. The first five are multiplicative because as we know in multiplication, if any of them is zero, then you can't have a resultant and that resultant being leadership, right? If there's no integrity, accountability, credibility, or courage or commitment to an organization, there can't be leadership. And then compassion is additive because we've all seen leaders be effective and they lack compassion. I think it's, and I've actually squared the C recently. So it's compassion squared to show how critical it is and how important it is. But there are still people that manage to get the job done without um, showing compassion or realistically empathy towards their, their subordinates. Integrity, um, you know, the doing what's right when everybody's looking and when nobody's looking, not an easy thing to do. Accountability, holding yourself to the same standards that you hold your team to. Um, credibility, being the best at your job, right? If they don't see you being uh, committed to, to your job and being really good at it, they're, they're not gonna wanna follow you as much. Um, courage. These decisions are not easy. You know, the things Stefan is talking about looking at and doing, these are major decisions, right? They require change leadership. They require uh, decisions to be made to move forward. It's not easy because guess what? In this day and age, you can end up on the, uh, in the Navy, we used to call it the front of the Navy Times, right? A magazine. You can end up on that in, in one day for making a bad decision. You can end up in a business magazine or periodical uh, quickly if you if you tube a major decision. So it takes courage to, to make those decisions. And then and I mentioned commit, commitment when I mentioned credibility. If you're not the most committed to your organization and potentially its transformation, then why would everybody else be?
And then again, I always mention the compassion word because showing your people you truly care to me is one of the most critical elements of leadership. Do you know, do you know why I think it's important to talk to people from different sectors, you know, not, not just the private sector, the business sector, the, the world you were operating in, decisions you took are life and death. It doesn't, the stakes just do not get higher than, than where you were before. And I think that a lot can be learned or a lot can be, uh, those of us in the private sector can, can really look at the decision-making that, you, you know, the way that you treat other people, the compassion, all those elements, even though you're absolutely right, maybe it isn't so absolute to be mathematical, but if you broke it down, you do need those critical elements to be a good leader. Uh, in your instances, can you give us examples of where leadership has gone right or gone wrong uh, and the advice that perhaps you can give to, to business leaders? So I think that uh, the answer is yes, I have, I have a lot of examples. Um, but, but to your point, um, you, you do have to make some life uh, and death decisions. Over, I think I'm at about 37 of my friends now that have perished in the military uh, flying the airplane that I fly. And they all but one was in training. So wow. uh, we operate in a very dangerous world. And one of those was in combat. A, uh, a young, young man was shot down by a surface to air system. But ultimately, um, training is so important, right? And there is life and death situations. And we have to make time critical decisions um, with the information we have. But back to your point about leadership, um, I've had, you know, they, they talk about, you know, large unit leadership and the military small unit leadership. And it's kind of it's kind of more difficult to uh, to lead through the small unit, right? Because it's more personal. Those people know you better. You can stand up in front of a group and say, "These are my ideas, and this is what I'm going to do," and then potentially they'll never really see you operate or how you operate. But if you're in a close knit small group where you're where you're personal with them every day, they're going to know more about you, and and it's hard to hard to hide from small unit leadership. So a successful leadership. Uh, evolution I had was uh, I was in charge of a strike fighter squadron and uh, we forward deployed three times during my tenure as executive officer and as commanding officer and ultimately as commanding officer uh, we earned what's called the battle E and that's the battle efficiency award and we were the most combat ready and combat proven F-18 squadron on the west coast that year and to me that was a good metric of success a better metric of success, though, are the sailors that have reached out to me since and said, hey, they call me Skipper or boss. Hey, Skipper, you know, appreciated your leadership. I remember this time you did this for me and it, and it really changed my career path and I appreciate it. So those are those are two metrics I use as success. One is our job was to be combat ready and we excelled at that. But I also, as you heard, take the compassion part very seriously. And I've gotten a lot of feedback through the years that the organization was very happy and was everybody would say, you know, not to toot my own horn, but they, but they loved it. And they, they, they valued being a part of the organization and it was a very positive experience. So those are two positive metrics. I had a very negative leadership experience. I was, I actually walked away from being the commanding officer of the blue angels before my tour was up. We performed a maneuver that I was the flight lead for that I took us down to well below an acceptable level of altitude. And I scared my wingman so much that I couldn't look him in the eye and gain their trust again. And that's why I'm so passionate about leadership because I've had a huge failure, right? I had to rebrand and rebuild myself because here I was at what I'd argue the pinnacle of naval aviation being the flight leader for the Blue Angels. And I made a misstep, right? And I had to figure out, can I build from this and move forward as part of this organization? 
or is it best for the organization that I part ways? And ultimately, I decided to part ways with the organization because I thought it was best for everybody. Not for me. It was a very, very you know, negative leadership experience for me. But the interesting thing I learned was it was a mistake in the air that I made that ultimately caused me to walk away from that group. But it was more so my leadership on the ground that failed me. And what I mean by that is I did not set up the organization that was conducive to my learning. I was still new at the job when I made the, the, the maneuver in the air that, that, uh, that, that, that was the near mishap. And it was, the, it was the training environment that I set up on the ground that I tried to fall into how it was before. And they would always say, boss, this is the way we've always done. And unfortunately, sometimes I just accepted that. And those are the most dangerous words you can hear in, in many organizations. So the training failure was actually on the ground and not setting up the organization, how it best benefited me as the person trying to fall in on it um, and the rest of the team, of course. But my failure was actually there on the ground and in the air. And I've taken many years to think about that. But, but those are the two you know, highly successful commanding officer of, a, of an operational F-18 squadron, and then ultimately a failure in, one, uh, in a very, very public position. And, and I've learned a lot from both of those evolutions. You know, it's, it's, it, it's really good to have both of you here because you're, one, you're giving me the perspective, Dave, from a leadership angle, you know, and, and what can go wrong, what can go well. A lot of the problems with digital transformation is the focus is so heavy on the technology side of things. And uh, Stefan, you operate within that world. C can you give me your view on some of the companies that have implemented certain changes in digital transformation successfully and how the, uh, I guess, the cooperation between leadership and culture as well as technology have worked? Yeah, absolutely, Maria. And I think um, it really, I mean, uh, needs to come together, right? So technology without uh, process and people uh, is no value. Uh, people and process without technology is no value either. Uh, so ultimately, right, it has to come uh, together. Uh, and I think where we have seen uh, that being successful is uh, the need to be uh, sort of a, a couple of uh, key elements in an organization uh, to make that happen. First of all, uh, there is uh, something like uh, a clear vision of why are we actually changing? What is the need for change? And the need for change can never be, yeah, I would like to have uh, a fancy tool that does a bunch of stuff for me. No, it has to solve a business problem. Um, and by solving that business problem, there need to be a substantial business case associated with that. And that doesn't even have to do with any investment decision, but you know, good leadership and good business practice is I'm looking at my organization. I need to understand what's happening in my organization and how do I set up my organization for growth? What are the key challenges that I'm solving or that I'm seeing today? And then how can I solve that by, for instance, technology? So I think a leadership team that has a vision and is very uh, sort of prescriptive in terms of what's the business problem I, I'm trying to solve is very important. Then obviously it's about getting a group of people together that are open for change. Now in any organization, you know, you have people that are open for change and sort of thrive in that environment. You've also people that sort of scare away from that and say, yeah, not for me or maybe not today. So I think if you want to make this successful, right, 
seek and search for the sort of change agents in an organization, but also the ones that have the respect of the other people to sort of, you know, join them in that uh, transformation. And I think that's also where, where we see it's failing is when it's forced. So I pick this market and this has to be implemented because it's solving that problem. But if that market is not ready for it or there are no change agents, it's risky. The other issue with that approach is very often, you know, if I'm transforming sales, it's a sales only initiative. If I'm transforming supply chain, it's supply chain. If I'm transforming finance, it's finance. But that is very siloed thinking. Uh, and we ultimately as end consumers from whatever organizations are producing or, you know, for us or services that they are delivering, uh, we are not thinking in that way, right? We want to get delighted. We want to have a great customer experience. And, uh, you know, more so we actually want to know where the product is coming from, you know, some of the sustainability questions and so forth and so forth. Well, in organizations, we are still very, very silent. So I think the other thing of leadership and change is bringing the silos together. First of all, the functional silos in an organization. So if we want to drive change, that needs to be a combination of the go-to-market organization, of the supply chain organization, of the HR organization, of the finance organization. And then finding those change agents and then making it happen. And in order to do that, what's super important, and I think we can learn a lot from you know, a lot of tech companies, is the speed of change. So if change will take a long time, again, right, people lose the trust, the interest, the excitement. But if that change can be accelerated and you can sort of celebrate those early wins and, you know, go from there, then you get this sort of, um, I would say, accelerated effect of change. And that can really, really, uh, you know, drive growth in an organization. So I think a couple of insights and perspectives that we've seen in terms of what's important and uh, some of the fundamentals that need to be in place. I think you're absolutely right. A lot of times people tend to forget to ask the question, what problem am I trying to solve here? Why am I implementing this change, this transformation within my business? What is my team going to think about it? How do I take them with me? Uh, Dave, I know that you're passionate about um, a standardized approach to mission accomplishment. Can you talk us through a little bit about the PBED process? So the, the PBED process or PBED um, is something you kind of learn and it's, 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 it's very popular amongst the military, but particularly in naval aviation. And it stands for planning, briefing, uh, execution, and debrief. And it's, it's something that I, I was actually taught it and didn't even realize I was being uh, exposed to it. It's just something that's ingrained in you because it's something you do from literally day one of your, your first training evolution in flight school. Um, planning, uh, getting in and working through any details that are critical to the evolution that you're about to do, right? And, it, and I'll let Stefan talk to it, but boy, does that have a huge um, crossover into the business world, right? Because it's all about, to us, we need intelligence, right? So in the planning business, we are getting into the uh, intelligence part of things to make sure that we understand, again, what's out there that's going to affect our, our mission. The communication thing that, that Stefan just talked about, breaking through silos. Everybody who's going to be a part of the evolution that's about to happen gets in the same room and talks about it, right? That's the brief. That is the making sure that everybody who has a role, whether it's someone on the ground who controls the airplanes when they're airborne, or it's somebody in one of the fighter aircraft, or one of its, whether it's somebody in the airborne control aircraft, 
to, I won't walk you through all those involved, but we get them all together and we make sure they're all synchronized per the brief to make sure that it's very clear what the mission is. And then we go out and execute, right? And you could argue which, which phase is most important. And you'd probably say, well, the execution phase, because that's where the, the rubber meets the road. But I'm here to tell you, if the planning didn't go well and the briefing didn't go well, the execution certainly not. So ultimately, it's about uh, execution. So within PBED, particularly important in the execution phase is what's called the OODA loop. And OODA loop stands for orient, uh, excuse me, observe, orient, decide, act. And it's, it's, it's more commonly used among fighter pilots when you're dogfighting because like we talked about before, time critical decisions have to be made. So it's ingrained in us to use the OODA loop, observe what's happening. Where's the position of my aircraft versus theirs? How are they maneuvering? All right, I observed that. Now I'm gonna orient to set myself up for success against that aircraft. Um, deciding, again, making those decisions that have to happen based on uh, the observation I made and then act. And it's, a, it's iterative, right? It has to be a circle, a circle and it has to happen very quickly because things are happening um, uh, very, very, the, 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 it's very dynamic and, and things are happening really quickly. So that happens within the execution phase. And then the D in the PBED process is the debrief, right? Every single training evolution has to have the major learning points pulled out, right? If you wanna be a learning organization, you have to go and sit back as uncomfortable it is, as it is, the most uncomfortable debrief I have ever had was after that Blue Angel flight of, hey gentlemen, I took us way below our safety deck and I'm sorry, let's talk through it. It was a horrible feeling, but we did. And we talked through it and we, we, we pulled some major lessons learned out of it. So ultimately uh, the, the debrief is critical because you can't just high five after a good event and move on because there's some things to pull out because nothing ever goes perfectly. And you can't just hang your heads and say, well, that went crappy and, and walk away from it. Because uh, again, whether it goes really well or poorly, um, there needs to be learning, learning um, events. And, uh, and, and again, there has to be an understanding of, of what's good and what's bad so you can do better the next time. You know, um, when COVID struck, I think, I, I like to say that we sort of hit a couple of different stages in business. Uh, the first stage was the, oh, wow. Uh, probably not, oh, wow, but you know what I mean? It was the panic, the first moment of panic. Then came the, okay, we've got this. Uh, let's, let's operate based on what we know and let's start to act, et cetera. I think now people are starting to look at the possibility that, okay, this is the new normal. What are the opportunities that this sort of uh, crisis can give us? Can, do we have the opportunity here to perhaps look at redesigning our business processes? Uh, do we have an opportunity here to become more efficient in certain, in certain things? Um, what kind of business context do you think um, or I guess, how can this PBED methodology be applied to business context to prepare us for the likes of these types of maybe black swan events uh, in the age of disruption? I'll start and let Stefan um, jump in there. But, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the black swan. And for those that aren't familiar, a black swan event is something that happens that is, it is I'll use, I'll keep the definition short, that's catastrophic to the mission that you were trying to achieve but nobody saw it coming, right? And it comes from, you know, there's a million swans that are all white and all of a sudden there's one that's black and somebody says, hey, I did not expect to see a black swan out here. So um, to, to bring it back to that, it's, it's something that happens that's unforeseen. 
And that's why I think the planning process is so important. And I, you know, it's, it's hard to say whether the COVID-19 was actually a black swan event, right? We have mm -hmm. seen pandemics like this before. Understanding that it's critical to apply resources to be prepared for something like this. You can't just be ready for everything because yeah. that, that's expensive, right? But you can have methodology that hopefully rules out the potential of a black swan, right? Having such a detailed planning process that you uncover every stone uh, so that you understand what's critical to that mission success. And then I'll turn it over to Stefan, because uh, I know he has some good thoughts on this as well. No, absolutely. But, and, and I think, uh, I completely agree with you, first of all, Dave, but I think what's extremely important in, in, uh, in business when that happens is, um, the question is, can you, um, you know, predict COVID or, you know, any black swan event? I would say, you know, that's actually very tough uh, because that's why they are a black swan. But the moment they hit, it's all about how fast can you respond? And if there are any structural changes needed in your organization, how fast can you sort of uh, structure that uh, so that you can start living uh, in the, the new reality? And I think that is where you see companies that have a struggle to respond because they're still sort of operating uh, the engine of the business very old school and traditional versus companies that actually um, are much faster in responding because they found ways to you know, turn data into information. They've invested in technology and in people to make that happen. And I think that is where there's a lot of, you know, sort of buzz around agility and resilience today. Mm -hmm. But I think that is ultimately what is required. And you know, when you think about you know, big brand manufacturing organizations, they're normally selling through retail, the, the brick and mortar, and really overnight that went from, you know, brick and mortar to online. And the question is not only, okay, how can I turn my supply chain and my deliveries to the online channel, but how do I actually predict, Dave, what you're going to buy online and where? Because I kind of know, you know, that you would go to the Kroger or the Walmart and, you know, you will buy a bunch of stuff there and based on, you know, ABC. But I have no clue, you know, how you would buy online. And the moment you're not, you know, sort of set up for that change and you're sort of completely in the dark, uh, that, that's a problem. Similarly, on the, on the supplier side, right? If you have no visibility to where your suppliers are located, what are their key constraints? Who else are they supplying to? Uh, what is their network of, uh, of tier one, tier two suppliers? And are we at risk? then again, you're sort of steering the business blind. And I think that has been one of the sort of key considerations at organizations that COVID made executives realize that uh, you don't want to run your business, you know, with so many weaknesses in your own organization in terms of visibility and the ability to respond. And I think that is now a massive, massive uh, sort of driver of change, which I do believe is for the good. Uh, because, you know, we, we, we might uh, now enter a phase where we have more significant disruptions, where business models will evolve even faster, and we, we just need to be ready for that. So it's not necessarily about just the technology. It's about having all the, the technology and the teams ready to be agile in this age of, dis in this age of disruption. Yeah, absolutely, Maria. I think technology by itself uh, will not do it. Uh, uh, and then on the contrary, people by itself will, will not do it either. 
So that needs to go uh, hand in hand. And I think the organizations that we talked about have the leadership, uh, show the courage, uh, which in, in Dave's definition is part of leadership, um, find the change agents and invest in the, in the right technology to make it happen. Those companies will thrive, while others that will be way too late uh, in responding to this uh, might, might face some serious headwind. Well, it goes back to what you said about the pace of change, isn't it, Stefan? You know, right now, uh, things are changing so dramatically, so quickly, that perhaps what took 10 years before might take a few months, you know? Um, Dave, in terms of your experience uh, in everything that you've operated in, where can you see the similarities in business, in uh, the day-to-day -day operating of a, of a business? How, how can you take that, those learnings and apply it into today's business world? Well, as I mentioned earlier, having been a, a consumer of data and a person who was brought up in a very structured and formalized environment, I think those, what I think one of the things that is going to help me transition into the business world is, again, being a big consumer of intelligence, which equates to data, I realize how important it is. Sorry, I'm trying to block that sun out. Looks like I have a halo and we know that's not. <laughs> it, 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 that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, it, you know, no, nothing here. It's funny, but you have got a, this big halo behind you. You know, you're telling, speaking truth. Go on, tell us some uh, more. Maybe that is reassurance that, uh, that I'm on message. Um, <laughs> But, but, but ultimately, again, being a, a consumer of data is extremely important. And in the military, um, a couple of things are very important. Intelligence, right? Having accurate information to make effective decisions on is absolutely critical. And then I was a consumer of essentially um, fantastic logistics, right? We were on an aircraft carrier for six months at a time. I never worried about where my next meal was going to come from, the supply for the airplanes, because there was such a, an advanced logistical trail in place that, that, that to me, again, as an end user, I jumped in my airplane. It worked every time I landed. I went and ate a meal. I slept in my bed, got up and did it all over again. So I have an appreciation for um, when it works, right? And I want to get in and help um, uh, create some efficiencies in how it works, because I understand being forward deployed, how critical it is to working, right? You brought up the coronavirus thing and there's so many other things in the world right now. You know, a hurricane moving through Texas and Louisiana right now, watching the news this morning, they're talking about how quickly we need to get help to them, right? Again, it's logistics, it's, it's supply chain, and it's all the things that are important about making sure the mission goes on and that the mission is successful. So I think that's where uh, uh, there's a lot of crossover in the military is the experience of having been an end user of data slash intelligence and again a, an effective logistics train um, and really to Stefan's point the the data is out there and, and companies like 09 Solutions do such a fantastic job at, at presenting it but it's really the the leadership and the execution phase and the, the what I call the piddle the person in the loop um, that's, that's going to help uh, effectively lead through it manage the resources so that they're where they need to be, but then leadership making the decision so that the execution is as flawless as possible. I think, I think that uh, that basically covers exactly where everybody is right now. You know, we are living in these uncertain sort of new normal times and trying to manage all the information at, uh, as best as you can to make decisions quickly. Um, 
I want to thank you both for being on FinTV. I really appreciate you coming to talk to us about uh, people, technology, ways that leaders can uh, implement things to get them through digital transformation and this crisis. So uh, both of you, thank you very much for coming on the, the show. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for having us, Maria. Appreciate it. No problem. We'll see you soon. And for those of you that are watching, we'll see you in the next episode of FinTV.